0: Seated. Thank you. Uh, good, morning. Good, morning. good morning. First thing I want to say is uh, just a, a thank you from all of us for all the gifts from last Monday and the the celebration for our 40th anniversary. I, I, I will I will tell you. Hang in there. It's Financially, it's a good investment. <laughs> we, we did well last week. <laughs> no, it was, it was a real blessing. I, I was quite astounded at the amount. Uh, you, well, I'll just tell you, you gave all said and done. Well, what you gave us was just under $500. So <clears throat> that's, that was really sweet. Thank you. And uh, Question. Now, Roger, I know you have a sense of humor here, so I don't know what you meant by this, but you said the ordination is next Saturday for Brother Jeremy. I mean, you're going to be reinstated, not ordained again. Is that... Uh... I think that's the right term. Okay, reinstated. Okay. And okay, I, just, I just want to make sure that... Uh, which it doesn't matter. In regards to the message today, that doesn't matter. <clears throat> the goal after next weekend is that our local church body will have two ordained elders leading out and that is it is a blessing it is good and it's right it's biblical it's putting faith in God's word by following his instruction for the local church body And I'm convinced he will be honored and he will be blessed and he will smile upon us. I'm convinced of that and I'm glad for that. Now, I also feel pretty certain, I would say quite certain that we have two men in the congregation here that are probably shaking in their boots a little bit and that's okay. That's okay. If if this puts you in fear and trembling, that's a good place to be rather than in confidence in yourself. Because I know you both know, and we all know, that nobody can do that job and fulfill that job without successfully, as far as God's definition of success, without the Spirit of God and the grace of God upon their lives and upon their families as well. So I want to talk about that today. It's been on my heart. Um it's not really necessarily a a little bit of teaching looking at some scriptures to to back up the step that we're taking but then also I want to share some of out of my own experiences Uh, and through that give some warnings and some encouragements Um, yeah and we'll get to that I've got some interesting things to share as far as our journey was concerned. Um, yeah, and we'll just go from there. But uh, anyway, first thing, <clears throat> let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to we're going to do a little bit of skipping around here as kind of an intro. Ephesians chapter one. I didn't have time to get on the computer and do the, the the copy and paste thing so I like copy and paste for especially for a guy that's not very technologically savvy. That is pretty handy when you can do that. Put it and got all of your verses right here, but we'll do the old fashioned way here today. Okay, Ephesians chapter one, I'm gonna start at verse twenty, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him Christ at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him, gave Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Christ is the head of the church. Turn over a page or two to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'll start at verse 22 and read a couple of verses there. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. My point there again is just a point and look at verses that say Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we know that, but it's good to just be reminded, especially in what we're. Well, uh, the, the path that we're taking this next weekend to look at verses and remind ourselves that yes, we're going to have what some call under-shepherds leading the flock. The Lord Jesus is still and always will be the head of the church. It's His church. Okay? <clears throat> we get the amazing... Gift of being a part and being welcomed to come into His kingdom and His church, and that is a gift. Colossians. Well, I just I just want to take some time to look at verses here that back this all up. Colossians chapter one. Turn over a couple more pages. <clears throat> Colossians chapter one. I'm going to start at verse thirteen. Colossians 13 Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, preeminence being uh, first place. He's first. He rules and reigns, but he is the head of the body, the church. And then all those other things, uh, just a little sidetrack, a lot of those things, when it says, by him were all things created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. We need that in this country nowadays to know He's in control because it feels like a lot of things are out of control right now. But he is not out of control. He's in perfect control over all things. And he's the one that lifts up one and puts down another. And uh, to hear Roger talk about how it just opens doors to be able to talk to people when you say, I didn't vote. Uh, Man, that ought to be. Uh, just a, a light flashing say, saying, we're involved in God's kingdom. And we're not going to get distracted by an earthly kingdom. Uh, there's bigger things. If, God's, if there was revival in this land, all across the land, people got saved and changed by the millions a lot of the problems that get discussed and worried about on the political level would just take care of themselves. Uh, you, you know, they, they would be. <clears throat> you know, you've heard stories about revivals that took place and the bar shut down and the pub shut down because there was no business for them anymore. That's the result of fruit of revival. So, a little sidetrack there. But that was an encouragement me just to read those few right there. But again, my main point that I want to Emphasize is he is the head of the body. Verse eighteen, the church, who is the beginning. Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Okay, uh, now let's go over to Matthew sixteen. Very familiar passage. I know you know it. Matthew sixteen, and Jesus famous question who do people say that I am and they said "Well, John the Baptist some say Elias or Jeremiah verse 15 but whom say ye that I am and Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou Simon Bar-Jonah for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose, shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, but Jesus made this statement. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock. First of all, a little emphasis there. Two different words. Peter, Petra, um, and the word rock right there. We're not the same. Okay, I think it's the Catholics that have been convinced that it's upon Peter himself Jesus is going to build his church. That's not what this is saying. It's not what it's saying. It's upon the rock of truth that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon that truth, of, and all that that encompasses... Jesus himself is saying, I will build my church on the truth. It'll be built on the truth and he will build it. Roger and Jeremy are not going to build God's church. Neither is anybody here. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We can't. He said he would do it. Now we have, again, the most amazing offer from god himself to come and be a part of him building his church and if we were wise we would take up that invitation and say lord i love you i repent i give my life to you put me to work okay what else could we do with our lives but to offer them up as a living sacrifice put me to work Lord I want to be a part of you building your church there's a lot of people out there that get deceived into thinking that they're the one that's going to build God's church and you better listen to me and follow me and my oh my you people get led astray some to the point where they get convinced to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and 900 people die I still remember that back 1979, I think right about in there, something like that, Bob, wasn't it? Jim Jones. Uh, what was the guy? Oh, here back in the '90s, the Heaven's Gate guy that convicted something's something's coming from out of God's coming from outer space or something like that, and we got to get ready, so we'll kill ourselves. Right? Figure that out. How do people get so deceived? But they do. By people that say the things that tickle their their itching ears. That's not Jesus building His church. That's not His church. He said He'll build in His church. He's the head. He will build. He invites us to come come be His hands and His feet. His voice. His body. A part of His body. And if we reject it, my, oh my, it's going to be expensive to pay that price okay and then John one more passage here of as far as Christ being the head of the church I want to put an emphasis on John chapter 10 he being the head of the church but I also just want to bring a verse in that. this verse there where he reveals that he's also the good shepherd And that, in, 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 in a sense, is what a pastor does. He shepherds. John 10 and verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus speaking here. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling. And careth not for the sheep. He cares more for himself than he does for the sheep. And when trouble comes, he runs away and lets the sheep die, basically. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, yes, we are called to lay down our lives for each other. But there is even a specific call upon a church leader, a church elder, to lay down his life. And that's not easy. It means they give their time. It means sometimes they give their sleep. Ask an elder who's ever been around for a while. You ever counseled anybody at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday? And you had to go to work the next day? Yeah. That's not easy. It's part of it, though, sometimes. Now, thankfully, that's not every Wednesday night. But it does happen sometimes. You lay down your life. That's the call. Okay. Having elders in a church body is biblical. Jesus is the head of the church. And it's just his method to use people to guard and protect and spread the good news and do his work and advance his kingdom. He puts all kinds of giftings in the church body. Some of them are pastors, elders. But it is biblical to have ordained leaders. Turn over to Titus. Paul speaking to Titus here in chapter 1. Again, another verse here that i think very familiar. Titus chapter 1. Everybody get there. Right at the end of First and Second Timothy, before Philemon and Hebrews, starting at verse five, Start yeah, starting at verse four, Paul himself writing to Titus, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or left undone and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And then he gives some qualifications. But he left Titus in Crete because there were some things undone. It's it pretty clear to me that the thing that was undone or one of the things was you need to get elders ordained in the churches that are there on the island of Crete. And it's implied in there that it's plural. Not just one elder for every church, but a plurality of elders. Whether it's two, three, more than one. Okay? And that is also biblical. I'm not going to get into that, but it is also biblical to have more than one. And I, Roger, I... My heart is with you 100%. When you said, okay, that's fine. I'm I'm okay to get reinstated, but I'm not doing it by myself again. I was a lone elder for five years. And upon my experience, I had determined that if ever I had the privilege of ordaining other elders in other churches, which has never happened, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. But if ever that would happen I would not ordain just one in a local church body. I I learned the hard way. <laughs> I think you did too. <laughs> that it's right good biblical and it's it's just more safe to have more than one. So this is good that we're This is also biblical. We're doing this a biblical way of having more than one. It's going to be right. and It's going to be good for us as the sheep of this flock. It will be healthy for us. It will be safe for us. It will be biblical. If it's unbiblical, it's unright. God smiles and has his blessing there. Okay. Now go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. himself was an elder says here first Peter chapter five verse one the elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed here's his instruction feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So implying there's elders there. Now, again, you could get into a word study and start breaking things down and, and you know, figure out that sometimes it means just the elderly within the church body and literal elders ordained Leaders or bishops. I'm not going to get get into that. We know that what he's talking about here and who he's talking about here. Feed the flock of God. That's what they're called to do. Take the oversight. Okay. But it's implied this is right. There's elders in churches. Um, Okay. Acts chapter 20. Very familiar passage. When Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. The elders from church at Ephesus there. Acts chapter 20. Elders are leaders. Under shepherds in the churches. It's biblical. That's the part of the note I wrote right there. So Acts chapter 20. Verse 17 says. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. And called the elders of the church. When they were come to him. He said unto them. I'm not going to go any further than that. But this is speaking of Paul. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he stops in Ephesus. And he wants to sit down. With the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He spent a lot of time there. At the church there. Poured his life out. To the people there. And he knows. He knows. This is his last stop. He's never going to see him again, it says there. And they wept sore, it says there, knowing that this is the last time they were going to see their beloved Paul. And so he's he's got one more thing he wants to tell them. Verse twenty eight. He gives a testimony of himself first, and then he starts giving some instruction to the elders. Verse 28 there says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. I'm going to stop right there for for just a, a minute. He says, Take heed. Therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. The Holy Ghost, God Himself, put these men into leadership. He was right. If God did it, it's right. God put them into leadership and He gave them instruction. Feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. For this I know, He says, That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Okay, I'll stop right there. Um, I have pondered and wondered what went through those guys' minds. When Paul said that to them, of your own selves. I, I thought of the Last Supper when Jesus said, Truly, one of you here, truly, truly, is going to betray me. And they were asking themselves, That had to shake them up. That had to shake these guys up, even of your own selves. What would go through your mind if Brother Mark comes here next weekend? And makes that statement to us right here. I know that even amongst you right here, there's going to be there's going to be some wolves. They're going to speak up. That would shake me pretty hard, brother. Surely you don't mean that, do you? You love us. You can't, don't you trust us? You know. But that's what he said. See, Paul, and I'm going to talk about the enemy here in a little bit. He understood the enemy. He had many, many, many dealings with the enemy. And he knew his tactics. And so he could make bold statements. That would be a shocker. That would set me back. I can tell you that, Mark. I, now, I, I, I'm very confident. He's not going to say that. I think he does have confidence in us. We've got a sweet relationship that's just precious. And there's, it's filled with trust. Mm-hmm. And, there, and I will tell you, we have something that's very precious right here. And that is we have trust and faith in each other. I learned the hard way again. That when you have a church body of people and there is an amazing amount of mistrust. You cannot be a great force in advancing God's kingdom. Because nobody trusts each other. I'm not going to work alongside that guy. I don't trust him. It's a tragedy. It's a horrible tragedy. And I thank God that we have faith and trust right here. That is a precious, precious gift. And I would say this, let us guard that jealously. Let us guard that jealously. Because uh, the opposite, it wears you out for one thing. And God doesn't get the honor He deserves. And His kingdom doesn't get advanced like it should. And uh, it's, it's just not good. So, anyway. Uh, just to make a, a, a strong emphasis here on simple truth. I know you all know, but I just wanted to look at some verses to show that Jesus Christ is the head of His church. And a part of that order that He, put, that he has put into place is to have under shepherds or elders over local church bodies. Alright? It is biblical. They teach, they feed, they warn, they take oversight, they rule. The one thing that they do, that we read that in 1 Peter, they are an example of Christ to us. Alright? And that right there if a man is truly humble and loves God, we'll put him on his face. Say, God, they're looking to me to be an example. Yeah, we should all have that upon ourselves. But it's a little bit different. Okay? When you're an ordained leader in a church body. Okay. Now I just I just want to spend a little time there, and that a little bit of time turned into a half an hour. So but that's okay. All right. Main part here. Big point. There is going to be authority that is going to be put into place. Okay? That's part of what elders have. They are granted authority from God, by God, to be exercised over church body that's right that's okay that's good we live in a land I remember 40 years ago being shocked this was 40 years ago at a bumper sticker and all it said was question authority It's all said. Now, you could say, yeah, there's a lot of authority out there that I don't really trust. And I get that. And we are rapidly getting to a place where we will have to take a stand against the authorities out there. Because when they start asking us to disavow this authority, we say, no, I will not. And if you want to put a bullet in me, go ahead. I will not bow down to you. I bow down to the one who wrote this book. That's the only one. We're getting, we're on the fast track there. Okay. But at the same time, so I, I get that. At the same time, you read a bumper sticker like that, and it says something about our society. It says. It basically says, "I question everybody, and I'm not going to do. And nobody can tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. I'm me. I'll submit to no one." That's kind of what I hear as the message from a bumper sticker like that. That is the heart of a rebel, and that person will have no place in the kingdom of God, because in order to get born again and enter into the kingdom of God, you've got to bow to Him. You, we come to Him on His terms and submit to His authority, acknowledging He is the supreme authority over all heaven and earth. So, when we look ahead and we say there's authority being put into place right here, Next weekend, for a lot of people, boing, their red flags go up and, and uh, say, oh, no, 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 no. We don't need it. We're fine. Just like we are. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. You're fine and proud. And so, therefore, you're not fine. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And so... Um, Authority is a good thing. You know, I, I, as I've walked through the years, I've, I see that a major reason God puts authority into our lives and calls us to submit to authority, whether it's church, job, government, uh, organization, whatever. Institu- whatever institution you're talking about. It's there to test to see if we are humble enough to submit to that authority. God wants to see what's in here, and he wants us to see what's in here. And when I chafe, I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. Okay, God says, I see what's in there. I'm going to show it to you, too, so you can see what's in there. Oh, it's not very pretty. No, it's not. What do you say? We take a journey and we change that. How do I do that? You submit to me. Oh, authority again. Yeah? Authority again. It's a good thing. I think God, excuse me, God delights in giving grace to His people, to each and every one of us. But we're only going to get it one way, and that is through humility. It's the only way. Okay, authority is being put into place. That was a little bit of a rabbit trail, actually. Sorry about that, but I hope it was a good one. Um, in Revelation chapter chapter one, um, we don't you don't have to turn there. Uh, it mentions you know John is is beginning the revelation of jesus christ and he sees him in all his glory and he tries his best to describe him and he says there there's these candlesticks seven golden candlesticks and, and there was one in the midst of them i love that picture these candlesticks of course the candlesticks are the churches and jesus is just with them in the midst of them, walking with them he's Look, and I could just see him. Just not not a literal candlestick, but it's, it's given as a picture. And there he is, overseeing, watching everything. And there, are, it says there that he had seven. Jesus had seven stars in his hand. And it later describes the stars as the angels of the churches. Okay. You can go to lots of commentaries, but it really also, if you just step back and, and, and think about it, it's not hard to conclude that he's not talking about a literal angel that has been appointed over these churches. He's talking about the leaders, okay? because in the seven letters to the seven churches, he addresses the angels to the angel of the church. At Laodicea, Smyrna, Ephesus. Okay. And he calls some of them to repent. I don't think Jesus has to call the angels to repent. So it's not hard to figure out that he's the authority is speaking to those in authority. Okay. My boss's name is Eric. I don't know who his boss is. Probably Marcus, okay? I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's say Marcus starts hearing stories about me on the job. That I'm messing up here and here and here and over there and way down there. Marcus hears this. Who's Marcus going to talk to about me? Who's he going to talk to? Eric. Eric. He's not going to talk to me. He's going to talk to the one in charge of me. Okay. Now, here again, we need to pray for these men. Because this is kind of... Jesus is going to hold elders accountable. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to take the time to go there right now, but it's good. And the context there is leaders in the church. And their ministry, and what gets left behind and what gets burned up. The context there is leaders. Okay. First Corinthians chapter three, take take a look at that sometime this week. In fact, I would really encourage you to do that in light of next weekend. Um, so but so the authority, Jesus is speaking to those in authority. Leaders play a tremendous, significant role in the church. They have authority. They have influence. This is good and right. Yes, but scary, I wrote down. It is. But again, it's biblical to ordain elders and to have leaders. Uh, they were leaders right from the start in the book of Acts. Right off the bat. Uh, even before the day of Pentecost. I mean, they're, they're, the disciples and especially Peter. He was just acknowledged. He, he was the leader there. And he spoke up and he preached. Right off the bat, <clears throat> okay, authority is being put into place. So here's a little instruction for us. How are we as the flock called to respond to the elders and their authority? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> Second question here. First question. And first point. Authority is being put into place. Question. How are we as the flock called to respond to the elders of the church? First Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> and at verse 12. It says, Paul says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their works sake and be at peace among yourselves. Man, if that, that is, you've got sermons right there in just them two verses. Uh, we beseech you, know them. He's telling us, he's not telling the shepherds now you go get to know all the people he's telling us you go get to know them so much of the time I think there's been a misunderstanding for so many decades maybe centuries that it's up to the leaders it's up to the pastor to come and go around and meet everybody and get to know the whole flock well, Goodwin's going to do that because he cares and he does want to know but the instruction here Here is for us responsibility on us to get to know them. Know them. Okay? Yes, so many people get so disillusioned with church because the pastor didn't come see me as many times as I thought he should have over the year. Now, I'm a former elder, so you can see why I get a little bit wound up about that. But uh, it, it's not right to place those kinds of expectations, especially in our circles. These men are still going to hold down their businesses and be overseers. I had a full-time job and was an overseer. And to place those kinds of expectations, it's very unfair. Don't do it. Okay? Let's not do that. Let's do our part to show them we support them. That's good and right. And be at peace among yourselves. I gotta tell you a story that just blessed me one time. I had a brother in the church when when I was when I was an elder back in Cheyenne. And just kind of out of the blue, he, he was telling me about a little rift he had with another brother that he had to go work out. And he did. He said, yeah, it worked out fine. We had a good talk in it. All I thought, I didn't even know about it. Nobody came to me and said, Brother Mike, you need to talk to Brother Craig before Brother Dave. No, David and Craig, they're men. They can handle things on their own. At least they should be able to. And and they did. And as an elder, as an overseer, I can't tell you how that blessed me to see, to hear a little story of a couple of brothers that needed to work something out. And they did. And they didn't even need the elder. I said, like, whoa, that's an encouragement. Okay? Because, again, I will tell you stories again of times where, now, I get it. Sometimes there are issues where you you need to sit down and we we need to just have a a talk. and let's, Let's try to figure things out. Hurts run deep sometimes. And you can't just say, hey, brother, go fix that problem. Okay, fine. Pastor, Roger, I'll go do that. And everything's fine. It, it's deeper than that sometimes. I get that. But at the same time, little stories like that, it makes their job a joy and it makes it easier. And that's what we can do to help make their job easier. <clears throat> okay. Uh, oh, boy. Hebrews 13 for you please Hebrews 13 there's a couple little spots there of instructions for us as we step in to having ordained leadership First one is uh, verse seven. Remember them which have the rule over you and have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. That's a pretty humbling instruction for an elder, even though it's not to the elder. The encouragement to us is remember them that have the rule over us and follow their faith. That's a pretty humbling thing for an elder to hear. <laughs> they're supposed to follow my faith. For I, I know me pretty well. And I know where I'm weak and weary and tired at times. And they're supposed to follow my faith. Yeah, that's what it tells us to do. And then over in verse 17 it says, "Obey." Oh, here's that word. Ooh, obey them. You've got to be kidding. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they must give account. Ah! They're going to give an account to God for how they do as an overseer. They must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Alright? They may have times for they may have specific instruction directly for you personally do you have faith in God to submit to them that's the big question well I don't know that I have faith in them well do you have faith in God to line yourself up with God's word which tells us obey them that have the rule over us okay okay Let's make their job easy. It's real simple. We just have to walk with Jesus. Choose life. Choose Him. Let's make ourselves servants to everybody else, including our elder. They're going to serve us. Let's serve them in return and serve everybody. I come in with the heart and mindset of a servant. I'm not here to get anything, Lord, from anybody. I'm here to give away myself to everybody. That's your heart attitude. We will do damage to, to the devil's kingdom. And we will bring glory to God if that's our heart attitude. All right. <clears throat> Some simple instructions about how we can be a blessing to them. Now, point number three here. Point number one, we're having authority put into place. Number two, how, how do we as a flock respond to our new elders. Point number three, how will the devil respond? I give you assurance. He will respond. He will react. Remember, he despises authority. And any time biblical authority is put into place. He understands. The devil understands us a lot more than we do, I think. He rebelled against authority and God dealt with him and he knows his dealing is not done yet. And he knows what his final destination is going to be. He knows what the price of his rebellion is going to be. Let's take a look at the characteristics a little bit of the devil. Go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. I'm sure probably a lot of you are familiar with this passage here. As <coughs> we just take a little bit of a look at the character of Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, verse 11 is where I'll start. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast seen in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Most people would would agree that that is a description of Lucifer. God's description. His heart was filled up because of his beauty. Must have been an amazingly beautiful creature when God made him. Probably something we could never even describe. But he let that affected his heart was lifted up because of thy beauty now go over to isaiah chapter 14 another very familiar passage give you a picture of our enemy who i promise you will have something to say some way to react in light of what we're going to be doing next weekend, I promise you he will. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be the ultimate saving. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? I will be like the Most High. He despised his very Creator. And God said, You're going to be cut down to the ground. Eventually you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. As we read there in Revelation. I can't help it. There's a part of me that hopes we get to see that. Maybe that's this little sadistic part of me. But to see our enemy. Thrown in. To the punishment that he's going to get to deserve forever. Maybe I shouldn't worry about that. I I don't dwell on that. But nevertheless. This is who he is. This is our enemy. Exceedingly proud. Rebellious. Rebellious against authority. You read there in, in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 16. Korah and Dathan and there was another guy there that came against Moses. Challenged his authority. I'm not going to take the time to read it. I, I was going to, but I don't, I don't have time. Read it. Read that. Uh, Number 16 and 1 Corinthians 3 this week. But they came against the one that God had chosen and put into place. And Moses had a a good response. He said, well, uh, my paraphrase here, we're going to go to God and we'll let him decide. And God decided and he God had something to say. The ground opened up, swallowed everybody up of those families, even their children and their stuff and closed back up. God sent a, message, sent a message that day. Pretty loud one. You don't do this. It's going to cost you. I, uh, years ago, when we lived in Colorado, Western Colorado, in the mid-90s, late 90s, we attended a, a Calvary Chapel church at that time. Pastor Brad Pyle was his name. Uh dear brother loved him dearly and he had a tender heart he he had a a a pastor's heart there were things about him that drove me crazy but i suppose there's things about me that drive others crazy too so we're even there but he was a dear man and uh he was the pastor there and he was a part-time he was a part-time pastor. he he worked a full-time job and uh, was pastor at the same time Had a family started coming to church there. This young man. Well, young man. About my age. Young man. Back then. <laughs> and uh, had a family. And he, he'd gone to four years of a Bible college. I don't remember where. And uh, graduated. Came out and started attending this church for a while. Seemed like a nice family. I enjoyed the fellowship with him. And, and, uh, and, and Brad and I had a, had a, a good friendship. We connected pretty strong there. This other guy. Oh, I think his name is Jim, I think. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. This is pretty bold, folks. He came to the pastor of the church and said, I believe the Lord is calling me to be the pastor of this church. He said that to the pastor of that church. Wow. Okay, that's that's pretty bold. Brad said, "Well, let let me seek the Lord on that." Gosh, I looked at Brad. I thought, man, that's, that's Moses right there. It was classic, and it was beautiful. He wasn't clinging on. No, 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 no. This is my church. He recognized God. This is your church, and I. He's his attitude truly was, Lord. If you, if this is true, I'm okay with that. This is not mine to hold on to. Brad went and sought the Lord, and Brad was a man that would seek the Lord and, and get answers. And he came back. He said, "Well, I." i sought god and and god clearly told me that no you're you're not to be the pastor of this church he's called he's asked me to remain in leadership here and it wasn't maybe three years later this other guy who thought he was supposed to be the pastor of the church heard he and his wife were split up she had an affair their family was broken up it's terrible but I'll never forget Brad Pyle, Pastor Brad Pyle, and his classic response to that. of he's, it, it, He wasn't clinging to his ministry. Okay? He recognized, it's not my ministry. It's not my church. It's all about him. And so it remained that way. <clears throat> Paul warned, if you remember back there in Acts 20, um, you know, just like God uses people to advance his kingdom. The devil uses people to advance his kingdom. And that's why Paul could say, even amongst you, there's going to come wolves that are going to come up. And their purpose is to have the preeminence. This is there in Third John. Diotrephes um, says he, he, he tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't because he loved the preeminence. Why do people want to start their own churches? Because they love their preeminence They love being the one that gets all the attention That people ooh and ah over And uh, they want the honor of men Is what it boils down to They're proud And the devil knows that And he can deceive those people real easy Because they're not walking closely with the Savior Drinking and eating His Word day in and day out Spending time with Him Walking with Him They don't know Him it's all about me in my ministry. And so these are the people that come along and they'll do whatever they can to lure people away. It's going to be a large part of Jeremy Rogers' job to watch out for those. Like a shepherd watches over the flock. They're under shepherd. So our job is to make their job easy. Pray for them. The devil will have a response. I remember, I've told you this before. Oh, I'm going to do my best to get this done quickly. Bear with me. I was ordained a, a deacon in 2005. And, but... Denny ordained me, and it was predetermined I was going to be a deacon. And yet Denny gave an elder's charge to me that day. So my family joked and said, well, Dad, you're a deacon, but you got an elder's charge. We'll call you a deaker. So they called me a de- I was a deaker. <laughs> half elder, half deacon, I guess. And then a year later, in 2006, Mark ordained me in Cheyenne as an elder. That afternoon we had two confrontations with people from church that just boom, boom, just challenged, challenged, in your face, kind of and marking and our kind of, man, what's going on here, you know? This was the very afternoon after I got ordained. And I realized then, man, I've jumped out of the pot right into the fire here. I mean, this is hot. And it wasn't fun, I'm going to tell you. Don't any of us here do that to these two guys next weekend. You'll hear from me. (laughs) But I remember it was hot. The enemy had something to say right off the bat. And it wasn't me. It was God's word being honored and authority being put into place which the devil despises to the point that he attacks it and tries to get people to question and wonder. And he does that by driving wedges between people, between brothers. It's terrible. And we've got to guard against that. We've got to guard against that. Not just Jeremy and Roger, but all of us. Remember, the glory of God is at stake in our church body. Always keep that out in the forefront of your mind. The glory of God is at stake. Putting authority into place will get the attention of the enemy. We're showing faith in God's word. God's word has and is authority. Satan despises it. Okay. People by nature also. Uh, are drawn to power and control. You know, you've heard you've heard the phrase, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've heard that? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I've always thought that was in reference to political leaders. I looked it up this morning. The man that came up with that phrase, his name was John Dahlberg Acton. Back in the 17 or 1800s, I think. You know who he wrote it to? It was an Anglican bishop. I thought, oh, he wrote that to a religious leader, not a political leader. Woo-wee, <laughs> that's, that's kind of like, it, it's got a little bit double whammy there for us to listen to. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts Absolutely. A lot of people in churches, they get hung up on the power. And it corrupts them. And they just can't submit. Okay. About a month. Okay, I told you about the the very day I got ordained. Now let's step forward about a month. There There was a little... Friendship taking place in the church body between a a 21-year-old young man and a 16-year-old young girl. No. I'm being a little facetious. You know that already. I, you can guess how I felt about that. I wasn't too keen about this. In the church body, I cared. Okay, so here I go. I say something. We have a brothers meeting. Again, context here I'm speaking of is men that just will not submit to authority. They just they can't stand it. They've got to get self out in front of people. Had a guy there. <clears throat> we knew him, but yet he was new in the church, and I told him, specific instruction. Okay, just sit tight for about six months. And our our, our form of membership was pretty loose. I don't recommend it. But it was pretty loose. And I said, just, just sit tight. Just listen. Okay, you want to come to your brothers? Been? Okay, fine. But just listen. Out of his own mouth, he said, you know, I know I was told to not say anything, but I can't help it. I've got to speak up. He just revealed who he was. And I sat there. It was actually, this may sound kind of funny, it was actually amazing to watch how one man with a rebellious heart could influence others in a meeting like that. And he got wound up and he got emotional. And I could tell there was a wrong spirit that was beginning to take over that meeting. My son, bless his heart, he was maybe 18 at the time. He almost started crying. He was watching his dad getting raked over the coals. And he said, listen, listen, listen. Can you just step back, guys, and, and just trust him. Just trust Dad. You know, was what he said. It's hard for him not to take up an offense. Even though that's not the thing to do. We all know that. And I will tell you, that meeting shook me. It shook me hard. And that is a warning to all of us here. As our leaders get put into place. You want to shake them? You want to get them to question their own faith and ability to be able to lead and shepherd and guide? Get in their face like that. It's not right. Now that man and I are in good terms now. I want you to know that. But there was something wrong with him. I don't know what happened in between time. After seven years of separation, I don't know what happened. Well, he lost his family for one, I know that. And maybe that's what humbled him. I don't know. But there was something about his spirit that was not right. Gerald Knoll was my co-elder some years later. (coughs) But he would... He was in Loveland, Colorado, at the time. He would um, he would come up and try to help us sort through this these issues that we were having. He said it as good as I could say it. He said, "When I'm he, he said Mike, when I'm with this guy, my spirit is at conflict with his." And I got to tell you that brought relief to me because I realized, okay, I'm not going crazy mine was the same way. And the way he worded it, I thought, that's perfect. That's exactly what was going on. And here's something that's sobering, too. He said, that conflict intensifies when his wife is with him. That's a little scary. That's a little humbling. But it shows you the influence of that men and women can have in a church body don't take that lightly one more little story here, and then I'm going to wrap it up it won't take long for a wrap up real simple encouragement just to give you an idea of the spiritual warfare that can take place especially in a leader's home it takes place in all of us but as we know the, the devil will go after the leaders because he knows if he can get him, it sends a shocking disturbing message to the rest of the church body my daughter was 9 years old she broke her collarbone <clears throat> and this was right before we went through our split I was just trying to sort things out and so she broke her collarbone, so she's sleeping in the recliner in our living room because that was the most comfortable place for her. Nine years old. I wake up in the middle of the night. She says, Daddy, I'm having a bad dream. I said, okay, what's going on? She said, there's demons climbing and reaching their hands through the walls of the house trying to come and get me. Okay. I share that not to scare you, but to give you an idea. That's the kind of attacks that come. Okay? So, we want to do our part. We need to be praying for these these guys and their families and their wives. Sometimes the job of a pastor's wife is actually harder than the job of a pastor. You know that. We've got to pray for him. We've got to support him. We've got to remember the glory of God is at stake. And yes, the devil will go after enemies. I mean, uh, leaders. I remember I told you about. When I played Little League Baseball before and uh, on the All-Star team and Agapito, when he was throwing the wild pitches and I was laying in the dirt through the whole game, you've heard that story before. Before that particular game that we won, we played in a tournament in the Dallas and we had to win four games up there to be able to play this other team, which... You know, I was catching for Agapito. We won that game. We went to, went to Portland. And then we got beat. But we went to the Dalles, and our coach, his name was Dick, Dick Sowers. He was the dad of one of the, one of the main pitchers that we had there. He was a good pitcher. I liked catching for Dick's son. Uh, <laughs> but Dick was our inspiration. And yet, I, I, and try to describe—he could chew us out, and he did sometimes. And we'd respond, "Okay, coach is chewing on. We better get going here, you know." But we knew he loved us, and he cared for us, and we would respond. And we had one game we were playing. It was, I think, one game before the championship game we played. We were playing this team that we were clearly much better than they were. And yet we were kind of, we'd come off an emotional win the night before, beat some team, some good team, one to nothing, something like that. So we were kind of a little bit emotionally out. And so we get to play this other team, a team we were clearly better than. And, but we were just kind of just limping our way through the game. And finally about the fourth inning, we were ahead of something, three to two, something like that, I don't know. And uh, Dick just kind of just jumped on us. He said, come on, you guys. We're better than these guys are. We should be ahead by eight runs right now. Come on. What are, you, what are we doing? And we all kind of said, okay. We went out and we scored eight runs at any. <laughs> well, my coach is mad. We better, you know, we better do something about it here. And we did. Had one young kid. This is funny. <clears throat> it shows you the relationship we had with our coach. Had one young kid. His name was Tracy. Tracy Runge, R-U-N-G-E, Runge, Tracy was his name. He wasn't a great big kid like Agapito, Agapito and, and me at the time. We were big boys. And uh, <clears throat> so Tracy's up to bat there. We're starting to get some runs in finally. And he takes a big swing, great big swing, and dicks in the dugout. He says, Tracy, come on. You're not a home run hitter. Just get a base hit. Quit trying to hit a home run. Well, guess what Tracy did the very next pitch? He hit a home run. And so we got to give Dick a hard time. Oh, Dick, Tracy and all, he hit a home run. Next time Tracy got up to bat, guess what he did again? He hit another one. (laughs) And so we gave Dick a hard time, but he would give us a hard time. We won that tournament in the Dallas, And so we got to play the other team from Hermiston about four or five days later, in between time. Dick got sick. I can't remember what it was for sure. But he ended up in the hospital. And so we didn't have him for that game in which Agapito pitched. And we didn't have him in Portland to play the the state tournament. And we lost. And I can tell you, I look back at that. When we lost our coach, it just took the wind out of our sails. I mean, we won that one game barely. But it just wasn't there. It wasn't the same. This poor young man that stepped in. Bless his heart. He did his best. But he wasn't Dick. Classic example of how when you have a leader that's in place, it's a motivator, a teacher that's good and healthy for the team, so to speak. When you lose them, Man, you feel it. The devil will go after our leaders. And I don't mean to put pressure on you guys with that story. But at the same time, you know, there is a pressure on you. It's not bad. It's good, actually. It's sobering and humbling. But let us do our part to get behind them. Pray for them. Bless them, and encourage them, minister to them, make their job easy. It's good and right what we're doing. It's a good step and a biblical step. But we've got to do our part in supporting them and doing everything we can. Remember, God's glory is at stake. Let's stay jealous over that. I'm sorry I went I went kind of long here, but I appreciate you listening to me. You want your phone up here still, here? What?